Hey there, I'd like to give you a big old fat warning. Some material may be inappropriate if you're a large wiener and can't take jokes, and if you're easily offended by, well, let's just say bad words. But if you're not, well, hell, even if you are, continue listening, because this is the best damn podcast out there. Hey, how's it going, eh? Welcome to the fifth episode of Billy Bob the Podcast. I'm Chris Mole, a.k.a. Billy Bob. This episode was supposed to be out last Monday. I know I'm a week late and a couple dollars short. If you're that kid on the bicycle and you're listening, I know that's four weeks, 20 papers. Sorry I don't have your $2 or your tip. This episode's titled Great White North. Take off to the Great White North. Take off. It's a beauty way to go. Take off to the Great White North. That's right. This episode's a beauty, eh? Don't go taking off. You're going to want to hear all about the wicked cool stories J.D. has to share in this episode. Some of you all out there listening may refer to J.D. as Jed, pronouncing the J.D. Jed. Well, let me tell you a story about a man named Jed. He had a lot of hair, but it wasn't on his head. And then one day when he was shooting at some food, a pop deli made totally nude. Naked, that is. No clothes on. Well, next thing you know, old Jed is over there, sucking on her titties and pulling on her hair. Long come Granny with a ten-foot pole. Shoved it up Jed's hairy asshole. Sideways, that is. No mercy. Now, just so we're clear, that's a totally different Jed than I'm going to have on this episode today. I don't need anyone getting confused with that. We'll get to the story of this Jed or JD here in a little bit, but before doing so, I'd like to give a big thank you to my sponsors. I'm actually proud to announce that I have a new sponsor on board, Fueled Films. If you're not familiar with Fueled Films, you can check them out at fueledfilms at youtube.com. John Hill of Fueled Films, great cameraman. He makes videos of show coverage and some other things. He was also one of the main cameramen behind the Amazon TV show Legends on the Left. Make sure to go check the old films out on YouTube. Smash that subscribe button. And by smash, I don't mean going and having sex with your computer. I mean, take your mouse, move the cursor to the subscribe, hit enter. Although if you want to have sex with your computer, you can go right ahead and do so. I'm not judgmental. I'm not going to judge you for that. I'm kind of curious about how you'd go about doing that, but don't go sending me any videos. I don't want to see it. So make sure to check out Fueled Films, like I said. YouTube, you can also check them out on Facebook, Instagram, give them a like and follow. And of course, check out Hammered Weekend Wear at hammeredparel.com. They have apparel featuring real builds on their t-shirt artwork. You can also pick up some hats, flannel shirts, and there's some other goodies there on the website as well. Also look them up on Facebook and Instagram. Give them a like and a follow. As well as Precision Auto Wiring. If you're doing an LS swap and you need your harness rebuilt, your computer flash, make sure to get a hold of Jason at Precision Auto Wiring. He can help you out. He can also hook you up with a C10 headlight harness upgrade. If you got a C10, you know exactly what I mean. Driving at nighttime can be a little tough. You may want to upgrade your headlights. He can help you out doing so. If you're wiring your car, he can also hook you up with an American Auto Wire wiring harness. I've wired quite a few cars in my lifetime. American Auto Wire is one of my favorite kits to use. They're pretty self-explanatory and simple. Well, simple as far as wiring goes. So make sure to check out Precision Auto Wiring. Give them a like and follow on Facebook and Instagram as well. 
While I'm giving thanks, I'd like to give a big thank you to everyone that has listened so far, checked out my podcast, sent me messages, texts, etc., telling me how much they enjoyed it. All that positive feedback definitely makes it seem like it's more worthwhile to me. It's funny, I had a friend of mine named Mike Garrow. A lot of us refer to him as Mole, not to be confused with my last name, Amol. But he called me, and (laughs) I hadn't talked to him in about three or four years on the phone. And I get this call in the morning the other day, and I see who it is, and I answer it. (laughs) And one of the first things he says is, hey, we need to go on a road trip together again before I die. A lot of things run through your mind when somebody says something like that, especially when you haven't heard from them for a long time. And the first, my response was, are you going to die soon? Something I don't know about. He just kind of laughed and told me no, but we are getting up there in age. He listened to my podcast and he said that after hearing so, it reminded him of all the old days of us traveling to shows together and he wanted to do that again. We talked for a bit on the phone. I will have him as a guest on an upcoming episode. we got some good stories to share. Like I mentioned, all that positive feedback and phone calls and messages like that, it all makes it seem worthwhile. Keep on sending me messages, commenting, replying. I appreciate it. I truly do. As I mentioned, this episode's a little late getting out there. It was a tough episode to do. As I mentioned in my last episode, it got put on that two-week quarantine there by the Canadian government trying to cross the border into this country. (laughs) I'm just kidding there. But we did have a situation where accidentally deleted our entire interview. I was trying to clear space on my SD card and accidentally erased my entire card. I guarantee that's a mistake that I'll never make again. (laughs) I've heard from a few people they've done the same thing on their podcast early on in the game. I wish somebody to warn me about that. I had to learn it the hard way. That first phone call that we had, JD called me from Canada. He wasn't aware that he didn't have international calling. That call cost him $80. But of course, that's probably only like five bucks American. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. No, actually, it is kind of a weird deal there. I called him this time. I have international calling. So we had to do this interview for a second time. I appreciate him taking the time out of his weekend to do so. We may have missed a few spur-of-the-moment things that we got on the first interview that weren't on this one, but this one still turned out great. I know you're going to enjoy it, so make sure you keep listening. Moving along, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I managed a truck and off-road shop called Danco. Danco was in the small town of Cosmopolis, Washington, pretty much just connected to Aberdeen, but it was their own little town, little community there. At that time, the timber industry was pretty big. We lifted a lot of trucks put on a lot of accessories. That's something a lot of you may not know is that even though I built myself pretty much all lowered vehicles in my life, I did for a number of years put on a lot of lift kits on trucks. As I said, I was the manager there. The owner, his name was Dan Anderson, he would actually run a fleet of charter boats up in Alaska every summer. So he was gone four to five months out of the year. It was kind of his little personal playground, little side project to do on the off season. And while he was gone, I pretty much ran that entire business. I learned a lot about hiring people, firing people. Firing my first person was kind of tough. I still remember that and feel bad about it, but it happens. Also learned a lot about running a business, some of the do's and don'ts. That really helped me later on when I had my own business. I had a lot of fun, met a lot of people while working there. Towards the end of working there, I also had my own shop, Billy Bob Customs. It was the first shop that I'd had. It was about 2,500 square feet, had an office in the front. I did that one all by myself. 
I still worked my day job there at Danco and did Billy Bob Customs on the side. A lot of times I'd go to my own shop early in the morning, spend an hour or two there, head to Danco, work. Sometimes on lunch, I would drive across town to my shop, work for half an hour, 45 minutes, rush back, work the rest of the day there at Danco, and then after work, spend another hour or two at my shop. Most weekends, I also spent at my shop trying to finish projects up. I stayed pretty busy. I probably could have just went full-time with my own business, but I was scared to. I had two little boys and was worried about paying my bills and taking care of them. That steady income is awful nice sometimes. At that time, I had a Mazda pickup. It was in its flat black stage, had green flames, a roadster top. A lot of people don't know that the top actually went back on. The windshield was chopped about five or six inches, but the roof had a piece of metal formed to the top of the windshield that when the roof was on, it didn't look like it was a roadster. I painted that piece of metal gloss black and put a sticker across there. It said Billy Bob Customs. So when you looked at the truck, it pretty much looked like it was a tent strip with a sticker. Fooled a lot of people. There isn't really too many pictures of the truck with its top on because one of the first things I do when I get to a show is remove the top. There's quite a few pictures with the top either sitting in front or rear of the truck, but not very many with the top on it. I don't think there's any in the magazine, really. A friend did send me a picture of the top on the truck. I'll post that up on the social media for people to check out. One of my favorite shows to go to was a show called Drop Zone in Salem, Oregon. I'd gone to Drop Zone from the late 90s all the way through the 2000s till the end. Drop Zone originally started as a one-day show. I went to it as well, but when it turned into a three-day show, it became one of my favorites. It was usually on my birthday weekend every year, which made it that much better. The first year, you just kind of found a camp spot in the fairgrounds where it was at, and we ended up camping in the very back corner. That became the regular spot for my friends and I. During that time, I was in a club called Subculture Worldwide. We had a Canadian chapter, and in 2003... All the Canadian members in subculture and many of their friends came to Drop Zone that year. They made arrangements to camp with us. It was always a great big show. It was always a good time and a big party, especially when the Canadians were there. <laughs> that one goes out to you, Brad McKinnon. Brad always tells people that all my best stories start out with, and these Canadians were there. So, yes, there were Canadians that year. We had a good time. I know that year that all the Canadians came, it was hot, really hot like it would get sometimes there at the end of July in Salem. I remember waking up Saturday morning that year, and then we had a blow-up kiddie pool where everybody was soaking their feet, trying to cool down. And, well, there was a blow-up sheep floating in that pool and a kokanee beer bottle sticking in its butthole. <laughs> that was a good old Canadians for you. I'm not quite sure what they were into that night, but I know they had a good time. Like I mentioned a little bit ago, I had my shop going at the same time I was working my day job. I wasn't quite sure that year if I was going to take my truck or not. I was pretty busy. But, of course, right at the last minute, I decided to take it. A friend of mine, Steve Fye, also referred to as Scuba Steve, offered to tow my truck down there prior to me going. I had to finish some stuff up at the shop. We went to load the truck on there. Of course, a lot of people sit the trailer jack on a block of wood there in the front to hold the trailer up. This one was no different. We hooked the trailer up to the back of Scuba's truck. I took the block of wood, set it on the front of the trailer. We loaded the truck up. At that time, I had this remote control for the air ride set up on the truck. I remember hitting the down button, and I looked over, and I saw this look on everybody's face that was watching, and I could tell something bad happened. Well, the front bumper valance of the Mazda had went down on that block of wood and crunched the valance, bent the billet insert up on the bumper. I went over there, looked at it, aired the truck up, took the block of wood out, 
pulled out the balance best I could with my hands. The nice thing about flat black paint job, Sharpie is a great touch-up paint. <laughs> so I touched up the front of it with a Sharpie. We strapped that truck down. Old Scuba, he took off to the show. I had to finish some stuff up, like I said, before I could head down there. At that point in time, the truck hadn't been together too long between the peach and the flat black version. There was a few problems with it running and driving. Mostly the brakes weren't working correctly. I wasn't sure what the problem is, but I had him take the truck anyway. I figured maybe I could fix it while I was down there. I really thought it was the master cylinder, so I picked up a new master cylinder and brought it with me. I didn't arrive there until pretty late. I think it was 1 or 2 in the morning. I decided to take the truck off the trailer and switch out the master cylinder. Surprisingly, I walked around the show, found some jack stands and a jack that I borrowed, jacked the truck up to see if I had any leaks or trying to figure out what the problem was. While that truck was up in the air and I was under there, there was a bunch of people, of course, standing around drinking, watching what I was doing. But I was under there all by myself for a little while. And all of a sudden, I heard this funny-sounding voice asking me if I needed help. He crawled under there with me, kept me company. We discussed the problem I was having. After a little while, I fixed that problem. You'll hear what that fix was later on in the interview. While working under there, he introduced himself as JD. I told him my name was Chris, but you'll probably hear a lot of people refer to me as Billy Bob. I had all these tools and rags and whatnot scattered all over the place, and there was dirt on my face and hands, and he looked at me and he said, well, I think I'm just going to call you Pigpen, <laughs> which is kind of funny. I always make a mess whenever I work on anything. It seems like every tool in the entire place is all scattered all over, and air hoses and extension cords are tangled up, and that's pretty much sums me right up while I'm working Pigpen. Thankfully, I already had a nickname of Billy Bob. Pigpen didn't stick. The rest of the weekend, we hung out a little bit at the camp, chatted, got to know each other a little more. Since then, we've become pretty good friends. We don't see each other as often as we'd like, but we do manage to stay in touch over the years, usually chatting back and forth on Messenger or Facebook, Instagram. We did occasionally run into each other a couple times a year, Drop Zone, the Sitting Pretty Show, SEMA a couple times. We'd walk around, check stuff out. For quite some time, we had a little inside joke about the movie Night at the Roxbury. One time I mentioned on Facebook that I was watching the movie and having that song, Baby Don't Hurt Me, stuck in my head. So for a long time, he'd post something on my wall or message me something about that song, just trying to get it stuck back in my head. It's kind of a funny thing that lasted for quite a while. A lot of times we'd also discuss being on TV shows, writing magazine articles, wanting to do more such as YouTube channels or podcasts. We both always tried to push each other and be supportive in each other's endeavors. When I first started talking about doing this podcast, he was right there telling me to do it, that it'd be great. I've always appreciated him as a friend and the fact that he's always been so supportive. It's always kind of interesting how some friendships form. I've met and befriended so many great people over the years, and for that I'm very thankful. They all have a story to tell. They've all accomplished some great things, and I'm going to do my best to try and bring as many of those to you as possible. So make sure you stay tuned and up to date on the latest guests and episodes by following my Facebook and Instagram at Billy Bob the Podcast. Give those a like and follow. You can also check out my YouTube channel. I upload all the episodes there as well, so you can listen to them at work or on YouTube if you'd prefer. They're just a still picture for now. I do eventually want to go to video episodes in the future. So make sure to go to YouTube at Billy Bob the Podcast. Hit subscribe. Please like, share, and comment. And if you're listening on a podcast app, if you'd be so kind to as leave a review, I would greatly appreciate it. Well, holding true to my promise of an interview with my buddy from the Great White North, 
I have Mr. J.D. Zizashek. Zizashek. I'm not really sure how you pronounce his last name there. I'll let him tell you how to do so. I don't speak very good Canadian. Welcome to my podcast. How's it going, eh? Good morning, Billy Bob. Good morning. It's going good, eh? <laughs> You're kind of, you know, not the worst butchering of the name I've ever heard, but fairly out there. <laughs> yeah. I just say, uh, I say Zaychek. My dad, he's, he's Czechoslovakian, so he's big on the proper pronunciation, and it's Zaychek, and he almost kind of spits when he says that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, no one's going to be able to do that. I'm just going to say Zaychek. Yeah, there you go. I've never heard it, I don't think, so I wasn't sure how you say it. I always just call you JD. Yeah, I just get the students to call me Mr. Z. Mr. Z. So, being in Canada, I know that Z is pronounced Z, not Z, so why don't they call you Mr. Z? I don't know. I just Mr. Z just sounds kind of odd to me. I mean, it, it always makes me think of, uh, you know, talking to you and you're, you're talking about the Men in Black movie. And uh, just when we were hanging out, I think it was Drop Zone one year, and just you had a light bulb moment, and you're like, Agent Zed, he's Canadian. So, I don't know, it just makes me giggle every time I think about saying Mr. Zed. <laughs> yeah, well, that and we here in the States think it sounds kind of stupid, but anyways, yeah, that was a, that was kind of a light bulb a moment for me. It's all right. Yeah, that was kind of, you, you done? I'm done. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was kind of a light bulb moment for me there with the old men in black thing. It made a lot more sense to me. I was like, oh, they all have letters, and then there's Agent Zed. And then once I found out that Z in Canada was Zed, it made a lot more sense to me. It does sound funny hearing somebody called a Z28 Camaro or a 280Z Nissan or Nissan, whatever you guys say. Well, I think you guys are the funny ones. (laughs) <laughs> Mazda and Nissan, Mazda and Nissan, or what, what do you guys say? Nissan. Hard body? Yeah, the Nissan hard body. Yeah, we kind of do, even though we're pretty close hour-wise. You know, that border's not too far away from me. It's still kind of a whole different language up there. We'll get you educated when you come up here again. <laughs> yeah, I'll make it one of these days. Well, now that we know how to pronounce your last name, why don't you tell the listeners here a little bit more about yourself where you're from, how you first got started in the automotive scene. Maybe tell us a little bit about your first vehicle and what you first did to customize it. Yeah, man. Um, so I was, I was born and raised in Calgary, Alberta. You know, I'm a, a true Calgarian, which seems kind of odd, I guess. Calgary seems to be a place where lots of people uh, move to, but there's not as many people that are born and raised there. I don't know why. Um, yeah, my first, uh, my first venture into automotive was uh, my dad had a, a 75 Chevy Silverado three-quarter ton, and that was that was our family truck. You know, we go camping and stuff in it. And uh, I remember one day, I was probably 12 or 13, um, the fuel pump died on it. And I remember walking from the house out to where the barn is, and he had this box and some tools, and I was like, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm going to change the fuel pump. I said, uh, can I do it? And he looked at me said, do you want to try yeah so he he handed me the tools in the box and went back in the house so i wrenched around on this thing got the fuel pump changed out and got it running and you know that was that was just it i never looked back i think everyone has something like that you know so to me that 75 square body is kind of a special truck to me he he's long since sold it obviously i missed that one which he never did but cars never really meant anything to my dad um and then I guess my first vehicle 
was a 83 S15 Jimmy. Bought that when I was 15 and then just started, you know, my dad would pay me to work summers and do chores on the farm and stuff. So I saved up and, and bought that and put the low profile tires on and lowered it. And that's kind of what got me into what we do. Um, so I wrenched for, I don't know, if, uh, about 11, 11 plus years and uh, end up going back to a local college here where I took my training. And now I've been automotive instructor for 13 plus years. So it's kind of come full circle. Uh, you know, never, never thought it'd be where I am right now. Never thought that, uh, you know, be helping kids figure things out in automotive. Very cool. So you are from Calgary, you say, or the Calgary area. Besides you and your shop of Candy Shop Customs, what else is Calgary famous for? Um, probably the biggest thing for Calgary is, well, claim the fame is they had the, the Olympics in 1988, but probably the, the proximity to the Rocky Mountains, um, Banff and Lake Louise and that, it's like a hour drive away. You know, you can, most days on a, on a nice day, you can see the mountains from wherever you are. And, you know, it's something that, people from all around the world fly and, and come to visit to see and it's right here in our backyard and we usually only get out there two three times a year unfortunately yeah i've seen pictures of that and i know you've posted pictures taking other people up there to visit and if i ever make it up that way that's one place i definitely want to check out looking forward to like you said someday coming up there and visiting you i say every year i'm going to and have yet still to make it up that far but i will one of these days, we'll make it. Now, hold you to it. <laughs> I know. I think I'm like that boy that cries wolf. I've been saying it every year now for so long that you guys are like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> you got to do the secret squirrel and just show up without telling people. <laughs> That's exactly I do. I'll just like show up at your guys' doorstep one day. Well, if I can find it. You're welcome anytime, my friend. Well, when I do come up there finally to visit, where are you going to take me to eat? What's your favorite place to eat there? Uh, well, we'll probably do up a uh, bonfire and, and do some wings or some Filipino street meat. But uh, to take you out to eat, there's this wicked place in, in Airdrie. So that's, you know, about 25 minutes from the farm here. And it's, uh, it is some badass barbecue. Like just smoked brisket and, and wings. And of course, you know, the, the beer is always good and cold. But uh, we try to get out there as often as we can. And it just seems to be the, one of the best places around. I love good barbecue, that's for sure. So that sounds amazing. Of course, just hanging out at a bonfire and eating some of your cooking, I'm sure that would be all right, too. I've never had your cooking, but I'm sure it's all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we try to do uh, a few bonfires a year, and, you know, everyone's kind of saying that this 2020 COVID stuff, it's been a shitty year, but, you know, when we sit around with some of our good friends, and it's like, man, we've had, like, I don't know, 15, 20 bonfires this summer. And, you know, it's just usually hanging out on a Friday and we start a fire and have some beer and, and it just turns out to be good times, good company. Yeah, I'm sure that's, I think everybody's making the best out of it. I see a lot of people complaining about the COVID thing and that this year being so shitty, but I've actually had a pretty good year. I've traveled around a few places and done some stuff and hung out with some friends. Nothing super huge. Of course, our trip to North Carolina, that was there was a lot of people there, but everybody was having a good time making the best of it. Of course, then we get back and everything kind of seems to shut down a little bit more again, so I guess I kind of lucked out there. Yeah, well, we were 
uh, a friend of ours, Jesse Chomek, it was his birthday last night, so we were over at his place hanging out, having some birthday cake and watching some mini truck videos on, on YouTube. And that's, that's kind of when you get bummed out, you know, looking at uh, some of the shows that we went to or like we were watching some of the Awakening or Drop Zone videos. And it's like, man, you know, makes you think back to the good old times, looking forward to when we can do that again. Yeah, when you can just go to all the shows. That's really the only show I went to all year was last month when I went to Mini Truck Nat. I've been building that little Datsun 320 or rebuilding it, and I wanted to debut it at the Forbidden Fantasy show in March, and they canceled that, of course, and then they were supposed to have it in October, and then once again canceled. So I've been waiting to go out and do something. That's when I kind of get bummed about the whole COVID thing and things being shut down. But hopefully here at the end of February of 2021, I can make it to Texas and go to the Lone Star Throwdown and debut it there in the Hammered booth. I'm looking forward to that. Pretty sure they won't shut it down, but you never know. So we'll see. Yeah, no, I think that's super cool that you're keeping it under tight wraps and you're waiting for that debut. I think that's kind of an old school thing to do because nowadays, you know, everyone posts so many pictures on social media and you've already seen it. So when you actually do get to a show and you see the truck, it's just like, oh, yeah, there it is. I've already seen it. You only get that one chance to, to debut it. Yes, and that's kind of the reason I'm keeping it under wraps. I kind of do that, too. I see everybody's pictures they post on Instagram and Facebook, and you see the build and how it's coming along and all the step-by-steps, and it's cool to see, but you kind of already know what the thing looks like before you ever get to the show and see it for the first time. So I just kind of want to see people's initial reactions. The truck will probably come out on a hammered shirt, the artwork, prior to it being debuted so people will kind of get a glimpse of what it looks like but but like i told ron seeing artwork or rendering of a vehicle isn't quite like seeing the thing in person or seeing the real vehicle so people get a glimpse they'll get to see what it looks like see some artwork of it prior to the debuting but i really can't wait for people just to see it for the first time and see that reaction on their face when they first walk up to it and see how different it looks especially the people that know the truck and how it looked before yeah, for sure. I mean, knowing you and your, your work, uh, it's going to be stellar, man. Oh, I appreciate that. So speaking of shows and working on trucks, earlier in the episode, I shared the story of how we first met at Drop Zone, and I was working on my truck, had it up on jack stands. It was late at night. And what made you decide to crawl under the Mazda and see if I needed help that night? Well, that was, I think, my first Drop Zone. And uh, we were talking previous, and that was like 2003. And uh, we end up, uh, a friend of ours, Grant Brown, um, he had kind of set it up so that they put us with your guys' camp. And we had already been there and we were sleeping in the tent. And I remember it, it, was, it was pretty late, like it was 2, 3 in the morning, I think. And Scuba Steve, I think, towed your Mazda in. And when it rolled in, there was a bunch of hoopla and kind of woke me up, right? So I crawled out of the tent to see what was going on. And. I just saw this big crowd around around you in the truck and everyone was just kind of watching and you're there and you're wrenching on the truck and I was like, well, what's this guy doing? How come nobody's helping him? And uh, so I just went over and I don't know if I even introduced myself. It's like, hey, what are you doing? And just started kind of helping you trying to pick away at it. So might as well give you a hand if you woke me up. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty late. I'm sure I woke a few people up there that night. 
Yeah, I had it up on jack stands, working away, and like you said, everybody's standing around. I think everybody drank so much that they probably would have been useless if they'd have crawled under to help anyway, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just remember you coming down underneath there and, and asking if I needed help, and I don't really think you did too much, but you kept me company while I tried to fix the brake problem I had. I ended up fixing that. When I rebuilt the truck from peach to flat black with the green flames, I ran all new brake lines and I hid the proportioning valve for the brakes on the frame. And I had that thing turned sideways or mounted horizontal on the frame. And after trying to figure everything out and the brakes not working, brakes not working, I got this idea that, huh, maybe I should twist the brake lines around and try to mount that thing upright, vertical, like it was on the firewall. And after doing so, my brakes worked. So I found out the hard way there, and I'm sure a lot of people don't know that, that that thing has a little ball bearing spring thing in it, and if it's not mounted vertical, your brakes won't work. Yeah, it's a little check valve and get airlocked, and then you have problems. But yeah, that's... It did help you there. You had to bleed the brakes. Yeah, that's a two-man deal. Oh, that's right. You did help me bleed the brakes. <laughs> I do remember that now that you <laughs> mention it. So you did help me, and I appreciate that. And Ever since we've been friends, it's kind of funny how you meet somebody for the first time and end up getting that friendship started. And some friendships last longer than others. Ours has been around ever since that day. We we regularly chat back and forth on Facebook once in a while. Yeah, we look forward to hearing from you. I mean, you know, looking back at old pictures, um, we realized that I guess the first time we crossed paths was uh, the 1996 uh, X mini show in Langley, B.C., and uh, I had posted a bunch of the old pictures in there, and your truck was one of them. And uh, I didn't know you were, or that it was your truck back then. You know, it was the first mini truck show that I ever went to, so I was just blown away with what everyone, you know, uh, brought and where everyone came from. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that the Triple X show. That's <laughs> I remember going to that show. We had some fun times. Me and the guys that we went with. I know my friend Galen that was on the second episode of my podcast, he was with us, and my friend Matt Holcomb took his Nissan up there. And, and it was funny when we crossed that border over into Canada, the speed limit sign said 80 on it, and here goes Galen flying by us. <laughs> and then we stopped a little ways down the road at a McDonald's, and he says, I can't believe the speed limit here is 80. <laughs> we had to inform him that that was kilometers, not miles per hour. <laughs> Yeah, we hear those kind of stories a lot. I'm sure. And then him buying food and not knowing about the exchange rate and arguing with the cashier, the girl there, that she gave him back more change than he paid with. <laughs> it was kind of funny. Well, you guys are pretty resistant on the whole standard and metric thing. Uh, the rest of the known world is pretty much metric, but no, you guys are sticking to the miles. <laughs> yes, we are. That's I've traveled out of the country a couple times and just hearing the way that people refer to things as kilometers per hour or it's two degrees Celsius outside or whatever it is, you know, they we're Fahrenheit and we're miles per hour and we still do the inches and the rest of the world is all metric, except for wheel size. For some reason, wheel size seems to stay 15 inch, 16 inch, 17 inch, which kind of gets me that tires are all metric sizes, but wheels are still inch sizes. Yeah, well, the, there was a couple times, I uh, think, like, like Ford, they did a, a metric wheel on the Mustang at one point, and then it just screwed people up because then they were putting the wrong size tire on, they're having tire blows and shit like that. So, yeah, I don't know, it's it's a combination. We just get, uh, we're creatures of habit, right? So when something's been a certain way for such a long time, we just, we're kind of resistant to change. 
Yeah, I think you're right there. I know it's hard for me to even when I learn something new, just like this podcast, I'm so used to doing something a certain way that it's hard for me to get back and try to do something a different way, you know, whether it's body work or metal fab work or any of that stuff. It's hard for me to get into a new technique, even if it's easier and quicker sometimes, kind of get stuck in your way, especially the older you get. Yeah, yeah, we do get stubborn even more. Well, speaking of teaching and doing things new ways, I know you're an automotive teacher, professor, instructor, or whatever you Canadians call it up there, but said a little bit earlier that you've been doing that for a while, but how long have you been doing that, and and what's that like? Um, Yeah, so uh, this is, I believe it's my 13th year teaching now, so I'm at post-secondary level, so in Canada, when you're at tech, you you go through uh, provincial tests. And there's four periods of testing, and then once you pass all that, you're uh, you get a license, and then there's one more test after that, and it's uh, Red Seal certification. So that means your license is valid across Canada, except for Quebec, because you know the, the French guys in Quebec do things a little bit differently and they're a little stubborn. But uh, I ended up coming back and and teaching the same program that I took. Uh, it's called Automotive Service Technology. And yeah, it, you know, it's just, it's worked out. The whole, whole idea was to have some quality of life. So summers off is, is really nice. It gives me a chance to be around my family and gives me a chance to build some stuff or, you know, get out to the shows and see some friends. So it's been great. Haven't looked back since. Yeah, I know with the COVID thing, it's been kind of tough for a lot of teachers and different things. Uh, what have you been doing to deal with the COVID thing? Are you guys back in the classroom now, or are you still teaching off the internet or over Skype or whatever you guys call it? What's it been like working with the COVID or trying to work around the COVID thing? I mean, just like everywhere else, they're, they're trying to take this pretty seriously because nobody wants to be liable about making the wrong decisions. So uh, any of the theory courses, we got to teach uh, online. So we've been using Teams or Zoom. I mean, it's all the same stuff, right? Your video right. conferencing. Um, but uh, it's it's just not the same as running class in person. It's a little tougher on the students. Um, they're just trying to keep as many people off campus as they can. So, you know, now that we had to do some labs and, and run shop class right now, um, the, the hours are a bit changed. Um, right now for shop, we're doing myself with half the students and I'm running, you know, nine hour shop days with these guys for a week at a time. And then it flips and uh, the guy I teach with, he has the other half for a week of the same stuff. And uh, just, to, you know, if somebody tests positive to reduce the risk of spreading and how many people have to isolate, all that kind of stuff. But we're getting by doing the best you can, you know, like that's all you can do. It makes it a little hard to do some of your other stuff, I'm sure. I remember seeing you guys do your racing where you, I believe it's you put an engine together and then have to fire it up or start it or something. And I thought that was kind of cool to watch. Pretty interesting to me to watch you guys slam those engines together so fast. So tell me a little bit about, for the people that don't know a little bit about what that is. Um, Yeah, so it's called the Battle of the Technicians, and it was just something that we started doing with uh, one of the local hot rod restoration shops, uh, Zeebs Restoration. And uh, basically, it's two small block Chevys, and they start from a a short block, and it's teams of two students, and they have, you know, just basic hand tools. They have a ratchet, speed handle, four sockets, a wrench, and a screwdriver, and they've got a, with nothing but those, those hand tools, um, assemble this engine correctly 
and they have to fire it for five seconds. And, you know, it, it's nothing correct about the race to build the engine. It's all about speed and precision and working under pressure. And shit, man, these guys, they, they have it down. I think the record for one of my teams is just over six and a half minutes from a short block to running on its own for five seconds. Wow. So just ridiculous. Yeah. So what's your fastest time at it? Um, I, I did the race a few times, uh, myself and, uh, Brian, that's Zane's dad. He, uh, we, we did a race cause one of the teams wasn't around and I think we did nine and a half minutes well, that's, and man, that's hustling. Yeah. That's still not bad. <laughs> I guarantee that's yeah. a lot faster than I would do. <laughs> I've, I've done a couple runs just solo and when you're doing all the work by yourself, shit, it ends up being about 18 minutes by the time you get this thing to fire. Wow. And you're just sweating bullets. <laughs> I'm sure. I know I watched the videos before, but are the heads assembled, like all the all the valves and everything? Or do you have... Yeah, heads, uh, heads are loaded. The valves are in there, but you got to load the valve train. You got to adjust the rockers. And right. we're not running any oil on these things. It's just assembly lube. Oh, okay. But you still got to adjust the, the lifters close enough so that it'll run. Because as soon as you fire it, it's hydraulic lifter and all the valve train starts to loosen off because we're, we're not running any interference bolts or anything. Right. But it needs to be close enough so that it, it hits on that first crank because as soon as you're cranking, it starts to loosen everything off. I know a little bit about putting engines together, but yeah, I was just curious there, you know, how far you guys had to take it. But th that's still pretty impressive, a couple guys getting an engine to run in under 10 minutes from a short block to firing it up. So yeah, it's pretty cool. I really enjoyed watching those videos when you posted them. I thought it was pretty cool anyway. Yeah, it was uh, it was one of those things that uh, what what makes me who I am, you know, with the uh, did some drag racing in high school and then all the vehicles I build, they're they're far from ordinary. So I try to build some excitement and enthusiasm for the students as to you know other things other than just fixing cars that they can do with you know what they learn in in this trade and uh, just incorporating that performance aspect you know like we did the race every year at the the world of wheels so now you're getting these kids onto a stage and they get to to see all this other world of automotives that they probably never got the chance to see before you know well speaking of instructing students and being a teacher i know a few years back you won the sema educational instructor of the year award that's quite an honor, I'm sure. Not something very many people can say that they've won. Tell us a little bit about what that was like and how that came to be and maybe what it was like to accept an award like that. Yeah, the SEMA Instructor Award uh, was, was a combination between SEMA uh, and an uh, organization called NACAT. It's uh, North American Council of Automotive Teachers. And uh, a bunch of our instructors have been pretty heavily involved in kind of the, the goings on in those conferences, and it's all around North America. And uh, one of them, he was actually my academic chair at the time, uh, Rick, he kept bugging me, you know, hey, you need to apply for this award. You know, it, it's tailored to you perfectly. And I kept saying, I don't know, I couldn't be bothered. I'm just doing my thing. And he kept bugging me and bugging me. So it's like, okay, fine. You know, he says, you get a trip to SEMA and all this stuff. And so finally, I, I uh, did a little write-up and I applied. And lo and behold, I, I ended up being one of the three finalists. And, and I was lucky enough to, to win that award. So it was uh, it was different, you know, different SEMA experience. And it was just neat. Like you said, 
to be recognized for trying to do the best that you can. And it's been great. One of the kind of the odd things that end up coming about that, I guess, is one of the guys that I've been talking to over the years, kind of like you, is uh, Max Fish, right? And when he was building his air suspension book, we were talking, you know, sometimes there was some highs or lows or whatever, but he asked if I uh, would be interested in in reading his book and giving him some feedback before it kind of came out in print and I said, wow, that's that's kind of a big honor to me because Max has been a guy that, you know, has been doing this longer than I have. And he's he's always been trying to help to educate or help people figure things out. And, you know, uh, to me, that was kind of a, a pretty cool opportunity. And it came at a perfect time because when that when he sent me his book to read, my dad had uh, just been in the in the hospital because he had some health complications because of his Alzheimer's and uh, aneurysm he had. So I was in the hospital every day with my dad and kind of having a, a bit of a tough time. So it gave me a nice little distraction, a cool little opportunity. So Yeah, it's very cool and very nice that you finally get some of that recognition that you deserve as a both a teacher and just a great all-around person. For those that don't know what SEMA is, that's the Specialty Equipment Market Association, I believe. The SEMA show is the world's largest automotive event held in Las Vegas every year. But to win an award there, especially something like the Educational Instructor of the Year Award, that's kind of a big deal for those that don't know anything about it. It's kind of a really big deal and quite the honor. Did you know that you were going to win prior to going down there, or did you find out once you were down there with the other two, was it three you said total? Yeah, no, I I didn't know. I mean, uh, the three finalists, they got a trip. Uh, so flight and hotel kind of taken care of and then they have this big lunch banquet and you know there's a bunch of the powers that be from SEMA and it was just kind of they they do the thing and they they present it to you up there so I was lucky enough to to bring my wife and there's a couple other instructors from my school and uh, yeah I mean I'd never been on on that type of you know essentially it's it's kind of like a global stage right so I don't ever think that I'm at that level, but uh, it was it was really kind of a pleasant surprise. It was a neat experience for sure. Yeah, it sounds like it. That's definitely cool. I know a lot of people that get, like you said, you never expected to be on that level or that stage. I think if you're a true, genuine person, you probably never feel like you should be where you're at. Most of the people that I'm really good friends with, most of them are pretty humble and never think too highly of themselves, which is probably why I'm friends with them. It's pretty cool. Thanks for sharing that. You also did a series of articles for Mini Truck Magazine titled The Junkyard Jewel. How'd that come about? Well, starting in way back in, in 2010, um, our car club, The Dropsicles, we, uh, we did a show in Lethbridge, Alberta called Sideshow. And uh, that first year, we had some mini truck and street trucks coverage. Uh, Sean Altermont, uh, Crispy Cannon, and, and Sponge, they had come out. And I believe at the time, they're all sitting pretty. And uh, they did the coverage the first year. And then the second year, we were able to bring out some uh, editors. We brought out Jason Mulligan and, and John Matta from Mini Truck and in Street Trucks. And, of course, you know, anytime we, we bring friends up from not around here, especially if they've never been here, we try to, you know, show them a good time. So we were uh, doing a wing ding in the in the garage, deep frying some chicken wings and having some frosty beverages. And I had my wife's blazer kind of halfway through uh, building a new frame and a body drop in the garage there. And 
and John said, hey, you know, if you're working on your wife's truck, just snap some pictures. We'll maybe put a little article together or something. So that kind of stuck in my head. And uh, I don't know. I just had this uh, this little idea. I've had a Chevy Love back when I was like, I think I got it when I was 16 or something like that. It was in the, the local bargain finder, it was called. It was like a $2 little mini newspaper classifieds. And, you know, we used to buy this thing every Wednesday and, one of my buddies is looking through and he's like, Hey, there's a Chevy love for 300 bucks. And you know, like, well, what the fuck is a Chevy love? Cause you know, as far as I know, they weren't sold up here in Canada. So anyway, got that truck and turned out to be a little, little yellow mini truck. So I beat the snot out of that. And of course I ran out of the oil and seized the engine and forgot about it, just stuffed it in the field. And I always loved the truck. So, you know, when this whole article thing idea came up, well, maybe this is a good chance to to do something with that. Came up with a game plan, and I, I kind of pitched it to John. And, you know, at the time, some of the stuff in, in mini trucking was just everyone was building these crazy, crazy complex builds, you know, like these ridiculous suspensions and cantilevers and all this stuff. And it was pretty high level. Like, you know, obviously any anything's going to – improve over time but when you're just getting into it at the roots the ground roots level you know that's a bit intimidating for your first build like my first build was springs and and spindles you know so the idea of the the build with the love was kind of getting back to you know what can you do in your garage with basic hand tools and friends and horse trading for some parts and that type of thing to build uh you know a, a daily driver or a little parts chaser or something like that and and that was it he loved it and said yeah let's, let's do it i think we did 14 articles all together something like that that's pretty cool so i was wondering how many articles were there i knew there was quite a few yeah and uh we were able to debut it at the sema in 2013 in the uh the source interlink kind of booth it's well it wasn't really a booth it was just a outdoor parking spot but uh you know, that was, that was kind of a pretty surreal bucket list item to, you know, ever go to SEMA, but much less have a vehicle there. You, you know about that. Yes. Yeah, and I believe you got some uh, feature shot of that truck from some foreign magazines as well, didn't you? Yeah, these, these German guys, it's a thing on uh, online, Instagram and online, it's called Excess Mag, and <laughs> I think it was one of the last days of the SEMA. We're just wiping the truck down, and these guys come over and, hey, can I take pictures of your truck? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. What do you need? So they, uh, we pulled it out, and, you know, they they did a shoot on the truck, and <laughs> the guy hands me his uh, iPhone. He's like, yeah, just t- type in your technical information here. <laughs> and uh, his iPhone was all in German. So <laughs> I'm trying to type out, you know, the, the tech specs into this, this iPhone, and, it was just messing with my head. So I was like, well, can I just email you and then you can do the Google Translate thing or something? But yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, I was I was intimidated. I was scared, you know, to this little mini truck that I put my heart and soul into and to, to have it on that global stage. And like, man, I was scared that it wasn't going to be received very well because most of those people probably aren't mini truckers and they probably don't read mini trucking and they don't know anything about the story of the truck or why it was there, but I was I was blown away with how that truck was uh, received at SEMA. Like just the people uh, you got to meet and talk to. Like you know, I saw 
this one dude come over from I think across the way was you know a Lamborghini is like supposedly Nicki Minaj's pink Lambo or some shit and this dude like walked right past that and came over and he just thought the love was so cool we talked for 10-15 minutes and yeah it was it was really nice to to see how people were into it you know like 99% of the feedback was uh was more than positive on that thing it was, it was pretty awesome that is pretty awesome so you also have a few other builds. I know you've got some dualies and you had a square body blazer, I remember, but one of your current vehicles is a Cadillac. Tell us a little bit about that. So if you think back to the, the blazer that I said I was building for my wife, it's a, a 90 four-door S10 blazer. And uh, so I was I was building that. And uh, when the opportunity to do the articles for mini trucking came up, she was, you know, gracious enough to say, "Hey, put my truck on hold. You know, you're never going to get another opportunity to do something like this." So, she let me put her truck on the back burner to do that, the articles, and build the love. And you know, like life happens, and before you know it, it's been several years, and, and nothing was, you know, happening on her blazer. So, I had uh, a couple dualies, and and one of them I sold, and so I had a bit of money. And uh, I went to her and said, okay, you can put time and money, get your blazer going again, or, you know, we can get uh, a new daily driver for you. Because our daily was a O2 Escalade, and there's about 400,000 kilometers on it now, and it's it's showing its age. And she decided she wanted a new car. So we started looking and found this really nice uh, 2012 Cadillac CTS. And, uh, of course, you know, can't can't leave anything alone, so... I, I did a bunch of mock-up, fitted some wheels. Um, friends over at Innovative Auto Works, they're, they're the, our friends who always hook me up with the stupid wheel and tire packages that I want to do on my stuff. And we fitted up some uh, nice niche wheels on it, 20 by 10s. And my buddy Sam at Epic Rod and Custom hooked me up with all the uh, airbag stuff. We got some Slam Specialties bags in it and airlift struts up front and that. So... Two weeks later, this thing was, you know, bagged on 20 by 10s, and, and that was that. So, you know, it was, it was a long time coming, and it was just a nice nice way to, to give Mama something cool to cruise around in again. That's right. Got to keep them women happy. Keep <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> happy wife, happy There's life. There's a thing about that. <laughs> yeah. So I think now uh, this is the third year we've had it, and uh, I think we're over about 65,000 kilometers on it since I bagged it. Wow. It's, it's proven to be fairly bulletproof. Yeah, that's cool. A lot of people build stuff like that and then hardly ever drive them, but it's very cool that you drive it and have put that much kilometers or miles on it. Not not as many miles. <laughs> Divide <laughs> that by 1.6 for the miles. <laughs> okay. So it sounds more impressive if you say kilometers than miles. <laughs> so speaking of road trips and driving, what's the funniest thing you've ever had happen on a road trip or at a show? Oh, road trips are my favorite part of going to runs or shows, you know, like that's where all the stories come from. But uh if you want something funny, we were going to the last rezo and I was I was looking and I had to check my uh my beer mug as to what year that was and I guess it would have been the New Year's of oh seven, oh eight when it was supposed to be the last resolution show. And, you know, Bob Hayes had been putting that on forever and ever and I thought, Well man, I've always wanted to go and you know, this is going to be the only chance if it's going to be the last one. And 
So myself and my wife and my buddy Sean and our other buddy Paul, um, we all decided we're going to go. And, man, it was just this crazy, crazy blizzard that day. And we all piled into the Escalade. Um, we left Calgary super late because it took forever for Paul to get here from Edmonton. You know, it was nobody on the road. Like, it was like foot plus of snow. You know, we were the only one driving. So it was all just powder. And we get to the border and there was nobody there, right? The one booth at the border. So we pulled up and the border guard guy, it was like, we just ruined his day. He's like, are you kidding me? You're going to make me deal with you in this crazy cold blizzard. So he was just a grumpy bastard. So we rolled up and, you know, we're super nice and giving him the passports and he, he's just grumpy. So he was going to make our life miserable. So he, he goes in and looks at our passports and, of course, he wants to go through our shit, right? So he lifts up the hatch, and he's going through all our bags and all this stuff. And uh, because it was so cold, the, the struts that hold the lift gate up were kind of slowly leaking down, right? And he's in the back digging through all this shit. And when he was happy with he didn't find anything, he stands up real quick. And, of course, the hatch had kind of leaked down, and he smashes his head on this thing. And he's just <laughs> sitting in the truck going, oh, fuck. So, you know, he just kind of slammed it shut, gave us our passports, and told us to get on our way. But we laugh about that one all the time. Good old border crossings. Yeah, just be happy, pleasant, and don't lie. Yeah, that's true. That's what we came to find out. I've gone a couple times across the border. One time, speaking of border crossings, I sent some skateboard decks up there with some friends to the show that you used to put on the sideshow, and I know they had quite the ordeal with the border patrol there. So that was with uh, Sean, Chris, and, and Sponge coming up. And I guess uh, they'd come up in uh, Sponge's Nissan Titan, and they were hauling his, his, uh, his Susie Rodeo up on that. And uh, I guess there were some panels or something that were loose. And I guess the border guy was checking out, you know, the, the vehicle, and he, he thought something, one of the modules or something under the seat looked suspicious and they were going to compensate the skateboard and they put the, the three of them in these uh, interrogation rooms and all this stuff. And I, those guys were doing the pee-pee dance. I think they had to pee so bad. And finally they, they let them through and the, the skateboard decks actually made it through. So I guess the moral of that story is if you're going to cross the border with sponge, you want to be in front of them after, instead of after them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, that seat module, I, I, if I remember right, they thought that was a bomb underneath there. It's for like the airbags or, yeah. or something. Yeah, that's something like that. Yeah. Turned out to be airbags or ABS or something stupid. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I remember when that happened, and I thought it was kind of funny. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't funny to them at the time, but now they can look back on it and laugh. Yeah, I think the only one that's come back to Canada for the, the Lethbridge show uh, was... Chris, I don't think Sean or Sponge has come back <laughs> The sideshow there, you guys don't do the sideshow. Didn't it change names or now it's on by somebody else or something? Yeah, we did it for three years and, and we, we did our best to make it kind of like a, a U.S. style mini truck show because so many people here aren't able to get down to the U.S. shows and it's just such a different world. So we did that for three years and, you know, it's a lot of work and, and uh, so we decided that that was, you know, going to be enough. It was taking its toll on us. And um, some other people 
they were part of Sunset at the time. They they took over the basically the show and the location. Um, but you know, we wanted to just be done with the the sideshow name and just leave it associated to our club. So they they named it Battle at the Bridge. They did that for a few years, and then uh, most recently, uh, Forbidden Fantasy had taken it over and run it for quite a number of years. So you know, it it was still essentially that same foundation from the the Dropsicle Sideshow, and it kept getting more and more draw out of the states. And you know, the boys from uh, Grinder and Custom Life. Uh, had come up and Max Fish had come up and uh, some really nice rides from the States started to slowly trickle up. But uh, this year, the FFF guys decided the same thing. You know, it, it had taken their toll. Nobody was, was living in Lethbridge. So it's super hard to run a show in a town that you don't live in. Um, so they're they're talking about doing something in central Alberta. So we'll, we'll see what they come up with. Uh, look forward to having something. Yeah, it'd be cool. Like I said, I... I want to come up there one of these years, so I keep hoping. I, I know the borders are closed right now, but you mentioned dropsicles, and I know you remember dropsicles, and I think that goes way back. How many years have you been a member of dropsicles? Uh, how long have I been a member? Tara and I have been part of this probably 22, 23 years, I'd, I'd have to guess. This year ago, the, our club just celebrated the 25th anniversary, which is pretty outstanding for you know any car club much less a, a canadian mini truck club so you know, it was born out of edmonton alberta and we still have a, a few of the core members that were originally in it for that long so yeah i'm pretty proud of that that's pretty cool so you've been in it well, pretty close since the beginning yeah speaking of mini trucks and mini truck shows and just car shows in general what's your favorite show my favorite show oh, it's got to be drop zone that was the first kind of run that that I've ever ever been to, and the run is so different than just a show because you get to you get to hang out and meet people more. You know, like the show, people are are always working so hard and busy cleaning and setting up their display, and uh, you know it's it's a one day deal. So between rolling, set up, and then awards and rollout, you know, like drop zone being a run, you cruise in, and we always got there early. So you, you go in there, you set up camp, you kind of establish your surroundings, and then, you know, the show is on the Saturday, and then there's a big party Saturday night and Friday night, and and then the, the awards and that's on the Sunday, and then everyone kind of goes away. And I think that brings all the, the stories, and, and that's where a lot of the friendships come up because there's no more pressure from the show. You, you're just having a, a good time. And, you know, at the time it was Magical Minis, and, you know, we did – the burnout contest and you know people would drag their trucks up and down and it was just uh it was just really awesome i mean there's maybe some memories that you might want to forget like certain things in the wet t-shirt contest but uh <laughs> yes it was definitely some awesome memories that's for sure like i tell a lot of people it's a good thing that like i mentioned on prior podcasts that we didn't have camera phones and everything in our pockets way back then course that wasn't that long ago but it wasn't like it is now where you just record something and boom it's, it's there like a few seconds later yeah that's the benefit of, of doing stupid shit before the, the camera phone there's <laughs> not as much evidence that's right i mean there's still some evidence but not like there is nowadays <laughs> that's for sure yeah i hear that from a lot of people drop zone is their favorite it's one of my all-time favorites i used to love it it helped that it was on my birthday weekend every year I think except for once they had at the end of June, but usually it was always the end of July. And there was quite a few of us 
that had our birthdays there at the end of July, Sean Aldermott being one of them, and I believe Jason Knopf from Spokane area. Yeah, we used to all kind of celebrate our birthdays around that same weekend, and that kind of just added to the festivities and fun of that weekend. But like you said, it was nice to go there, hang out, visit with people, and you didn't have to just rush back from the show and met a lot of good people, became friends with a lot of new people, and got to see all your old ones that sometimes you only got to see once a year. So it was a great time. I understand why it's a lot of people's favorite show. If you'd ever been there, you know exactly what you and I are talking about. They no longer do Drop Zone, which is kind of unfortunate, but they do on that same weekend. Relaxed Atmosphere Northwest Chapters have taken over that weekend at the same Salem Fairgrounds, and they do a show there called The Awakening. A lot of people still refer to it as Drop Zone. Sometimes they joke around and say, not Drop Zone, haha, just because they don't want it to be called Drop Zone. But that's that same weekend there, the end of July. And it's got that same old-school three-day show vibe to it. I think just like Drop Zone, you can come there a day early on Thursday night for a little extra fee if you want to get an extra day in their vacation or holidays, I think you guys call it. It's uh, definitely a great time. So if you're looking for something to do in the mini-truck world, want to travel to a show, a great show, one of the best in the country, you can head on out to Salem, Oregon the end of July for the Awakening Speaking of vehicles and builds, I know we discussed your love and your first vehicle and your Cadillac, but is there anything you're currently working on, anything in progress right now? Well, the only thing I got kind of cut apart right now is my daughter, Sam. When she was 13, she bought uh, Mazda B2200 from our, our good buddy, Sean, and it was actually his dad's truck. So it's, uh, you know, we, we lowered it and he gave her some old school center lines and that, so you know, before she had her license, we kind of towed it around to shows um, for her. And then, you know, of course, it needed some work. It was burning some oil and that. So I pulled the engine transmission out. And, of course, it's like Pandora's box on these older trucks, right? You know, you think there's just a little bit of rust you got to fix. And then it turns out when you get the carpet up, holy crap, half the floor is missing. So it turned into kind of a bigger project. And I'm doing, uh, put on airbags and stuff for her. So, you know, that's in the shop. I haven't haven't been able to pick away at it lately with just being busy with school and that. But other than that, the only other thing kind of on my to-do list, well, only other thing, but I have a, a 61 Chevy Brookwood uh, station wagon that I can't wait to get my teeth into. And got a, I think it's a 72 C10, you know, kind of got that going for Sam to have something to drive. And, you know, it's just, there's no rest for the wicked, they say, right? So... If it's not fleet maintenance and it's not school, then it's family. And if it's not family, then it's, you know, other projects that kind of divide your attention. I am that way myself. It's I've got so many projects, I don't even know what to do sometimes. I get a little overwhelmed with them. It's hard to concentrate on just one at a time. I got that automotive attention deficit disorder. So, <laughs> like many yeah. of us have. Or AADD or ADD or whatever it stands for something. Yeah, well, different. you're picking away at your Astro van. I can't. I can't wait to to see you get that thing going. I mean, I've always been a big fan of the Astro van. Someday, <laughs> I know I go out in my garage and I look at it, and it's hard not to just work on it. But I've been trying really hard to concentrate. Like I said, on one at a time. I've been finishing up a couple little final touches on the Datsun. And like I said, after the debut in February, I think I'll be able to get back on the Astro van there and get that thing done. 
it's about a day or two away from being able to put it in primer and it's just been sitting like that for a couple years now so it'll be kind of nice to get back on it yeah for sure can't wait so we're getting towards the end of this episode here would you like to give out your social media for people to check out what you're working on and what you're doing and all your chevy love and cadillac and stuff yeah i mean for sure if, if anyone wants to check out my instagram uh candy shop customs um you'll see my logo there on the door of the love you know i have some hats and lanyards and stickers and keychains and stuff that get out to people that's kind of my own little deal you can find me on facebook as well and i i've tried to get like a little youtube channel going same thing just search candy shop customs on there and you'll find you'll find my channel and it's just some of the stuff that i've been trying to do out in the shop over time but you know it's just one more thing to divide my time and attention and you know, I'm not super efficient at doing the videoing and the editing and that, um, but I'll post some stuff on there when I can. Make sure to check out Candy Shop Customs on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Hit like, subscribe, follow, comment, all that kind of good stuff. I know what it's like trying to find time to do stuff. Everybody thinks just like this podcast, oh, you just record and stick it out there, but they don't realize there's some editing involved and uploading and especially to put this thing on YouTube, it takes a little bit of time to upload. So I understand that. Like we mentioned, projects, family, trying to get podcasts done, post pictures, make everybody happy at once, which you'll never do. But speaking of social media, is there anybody on social media that you think we should check out or follow? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, just looking at what we got going on locally here in the in the Calgary area, you know, for sure check out Dropsicles Instagram or webpage online. One of our guys, Chris Trapp, uh, his personal Instagram is Trappskis, so at Trapp, T-R-A-P-P-S-K-I-S, but he's uh, just expanded his automotive auto body shop, so he just got an Instagram page for that, and it's Trap House Automotive, and he's doing some real cool things. You know, he's, he's young and full of energy and full of skill and talent, so it's, it's kind of making me feel tired just watching him do what he does. But uh, like I mentioned, my hats and uh friends of ours tequila.ca or at tequila.ca they, they do a bunch of the embroidery for us and a bunch of other car guys around here so you can find their instagram i talked about my buddy sam his instagram is at epic customs and you know he's one of the only guys that i would actually send people to um as far as getting work and parts locally he's just taking it up to the next level locally here Got a shout out to the the boys at Innovative Auto Works. That's Auto Works with an X. You know they've they've always helped me out with any of the wheel and tire combos on on any of the stupid projects that I'm working on. And friend of ours, Jen underscore Jen Black. She's kind of posting a bunch of the airbrush stuff that she's kind of learning. She's uh, you know executing her her skills and learning on some panels and skateboards and and uh shoes and stuff like that and i guess in the, another local dario you know his claim to fame these days is building big power out of turbo lss uh his instagram is at the house of boost so he's kind of earning a name for himself in the ls world nice to get a little spotlight on the, the local guys that's more than fine to shed a spotlight on some of your local people there and friends and people in the scene Make sure to go check them out. There's plenty there to check out and follow along with. Check out their work at least. If you like what you see there, make sure you hit like and follow along with them. Leave a comment. 
tell them that you heard about it on Billy Bob the podcast. I know I have a couple. I'm really into artwork. So mine, the first one is Skateboard Connection. I think they sell skateboards like the blank decks for custom painters, but they post a lot of pictures of custom painted skateboards from people all around the world. So I like it because I get to check out other people's custom paint work and stuff on those. Another one that I have, yes, another artist, is Pinstripe Chris. His name's Chris Dunlap. A lot of you probably already know who Chris Dunlap is, but if you don't, you need to check out Pinstripe Chris. I was pretty fortunate. I got to meet him when I worked at KRS here in Idaho. He came up and did some renderings of some vehicles we were working on. Man, the guy is talented. He starts all of his renderings of vehicles out with a ballpoint pen, no pencil. I think it's pretty amazing that somebody can do that. You know, I asked him about mistakes, but he's been doing it for so long, he can just take a pen and whip those things out. So he is Pinstripe Chris on Facebook and Pinstripe underscore Chris on Instagram. So make sure to check those out. It's funny you mentioned Dario, him and his LS swap thing. I saw that not too long ago, some videos of him. It's kind of like those Australian type, whatever they do there, burnout things or whatever. But I just remember him going to drop zone, pulling in with that body drop Ford Ranger that he had that I have no idea how he ever fit into and drove all the way from Canada to Oregon. But I remember trying to sit in it and it was all I could do to even get myself wedged in that thing. That was quite a sight because Dario's a big dude. He's like, I don't know, six and a half foot tall or something like that. And his Ranger was the first gen Ranger that it was a combination of stock floor and traditional body drop. It was down to the doors. And when he was sitting in this thing, the steering wheel was basically between his knees. So he used to joke that he'd sunburn his knees when he's driving that thing. <laughs> yeah, I just, oh man, like I said, I remember trying to get inside that thing and it was all I could do to get in there. And I was thinking, he actually drove that thing the whole entire way. Cool to see people like that moving on to bigger and better things. Well, I don't know if about better things, but definitely bigger, definitely more horsepower. <laughs> so anything else you'd like to mention here on this episode? You know what? I mean, I've I've talked to you lots of times, and I just wanted to give you full props and, and, you know, credit for just being positive, you know, just being the better person and, and trying to help things figure out what they're doing or improve what they're doing. You know, we've talked about back when uh, there was threads and forums, and, you know, you and I both have been trying to post or clarify things, and you know, you get this keyboard warrior that's just know-it-all or Nancy-negative or whatever, and it just, it's just a tough thing. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy to call you a good friend of mine and, and glad you're, you're doing this podcast and keep sharing your knowledge and, and helping people figure things out. And you're just, I don't know, humbling down to earth. You know, I, I look up to you, man. You're, you're awesome. No, well, I appreciate that very much. Thank you for the kind words. I feel the same about you. I know I discussed earlier in the episode here prior to our interview that kind of always stayed in touch and always talked about doing a YouTube channel or podcast or different things and always tried to be positive towards that and help each other out or, or just give that occasional nudge like, yeah, you need to do it, you need to do it. And I've always been appreciative of that and that's why I knew as soon as I did this, you were one of the very first people that popped into my head to have on here like I said earlier, I appreciate our friendship and all the positive aspect that you bring towards it. And and like you said, you do get those keyboard warriors that try to, or, or that post that negative comment and try to bring you down. And, and I always just tell people, you're never going to make everybody happy. And the 
more you get out there and the more you achieve and the more you do, it's like my mom always said, you got to take some heat if you're going to be on fire, and that's just the way it goes. Yeah, just try to stay positive about it and have that positive outlook. And like I said, always appreciated that about you as well. So thank you for coming on here and being my second guest. We had a great time. Got some great stories out here and some learned a lot about Canada or learned a little about Canada, I should say, and about what it's like to live there and teach and accept awards and some of the cool vehicles you built. So thank you again. Yeah, I appreciate that, Chris. I mean, if, if I was to, you know, offer any advice to any of the fellow mini truckers out there is put your hand out and introduce yourself to somebody say hey you know i'm jd you know i love your truck or how'd you do this and and it's just one of those things that a lot of people seem scared to do and that's that's what starts you know meeting people and improving and making friendship you know introduce yourself hey if all your instagram whatever the case is you know and and break down some of those walls yes that's very true it is hard for people. It's hard for me. I kind of have a real social anxiety thing sometimes where I get in crowds or get around a bunch of people and I kind of am a little, or I don't even know what to call it, but get kind of nervous. And so it is hard for me even to put out my hand there and introduce myself. A lot of times I'll just kind of hang out and go around and look at vehicles and see what I need to see there. And some people will talk to you, but just even like a last month, I was standing around talking to somebody that I'd known and a couple of people had walked up to the conversation and, you know, I didn't introduce myself or say hi or, or almost didn't acknowledge that they were there. And I don't mean to do so. It's just that's kind of how I get sometimes. And, you know, you wouldn't think so with me having this podcast, but I'm hoping that having this podcast helps get my story out there and kind of loosens me up so that I can I'm able to do that a little better. I know a lot of people kind of think that I'm stuck up or conceited or think highly of myself, but that's really not the case. It's just that I have that, like I said, that social anxiety thing to where sometimes I get around people and I just kind of freeze up and not sure what to do or, you know, like people say, I'm not sure what to do with my hands. So, But, yeah, it is, you know, like you said, that's great advice. Just go out there, put out your hand, introduce yourself, start that conversation because, you know, like we talked about prior, that's how friendships are made. That pretty much brings us to the conclusion of this episode. And sticking to the Canadian theme, I'm going to do my best to go out Canadian style. So, until next time, get off the couch, eh? Quit being a hoser. Let go of the noose on your moose. Go out to the garage. Work on your Mazda or Nissan. Go on a holidays. Make some memories. Because when we meet up, I want to hear all about it. I'll talk to you all later. I'm out of here, eh? <laughs>